0: for tuning in to November's episode of The Buzz Capture's podcast on trending topics across enrollment advancement and technology I'm your host Amanda Scott one of Capture's senior directors and I'm here with my colleagues today we're going to talk about turkey time as we prepare for Thanksgiving the Buzz crew is going to provide some helpful best practice tips on everything from your giblet gravy to how to increase your transfer applications Those identifying those high value donors towards the end of the year, what all is going on in enrollment, advancement in the graduate spaces as we get to the end of the year. So without further ado, I'm gonna introduce you to my uh, colleagues. That's what I call them on good days. And we're gonna start with Jamie. (laughs) And Jamie, I know that you're our director of undergrad initiatives, but I would much rather know more about what is your weird family weird holiday tradition tradition? Yeah,
1: so good, thanks, Amanda. It's good to be here on uh, the November episode. It is definitely turkey time. My kids, I feel like, are talking about everything turkey recently. Uh, I come from a very small town in upstate New York, and I feel like Thanksgiving is filled with all sorts of weird traditions. But among the weirdest, in my opinion anyway, are the things that kind of pass as salads when it comes to thanksgiving you know when we think of a salad normally i think we think of like lettuce and like cabbage and things that are green kale but i feel like around thanksgiving time and even through the greater holidays things from jello to whipped cream and all sorts of weird non-vegetable things become salads uh so weird thing for me is the jello salad my grandmother i think probably my grandmother's plural all made these at giant family gatherings. Some of them had different things in them like pineapple and
0: marshmallows,
1: marshmallows. Yes. Carrots, maybe like heavy whipping cream, just some weird combinations of things. Not all of those in the same salad I hope, (laughs) but um, I gotta be honest. I've never, I've never uh, made one. I've definitely eaten bites of them. It, in my opinion, is one of the weirder things that happens around Thanksgiving. The the passing of jello as salad. And your faces right now are priceless to the listening audience.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that I don't Jane, know.
1: Do, that do is jello salads cautious. entail molds. Yes, yeah. Usually coming out of a mold, uh, bunt pan or something like that, you know, to give it a little cool shape.
0: Slop. I'm listening yeah. to the jello slop out of the yes. mold right now. Maybe
1: I'll make one for our next company get together.
0: Please don't.
2: <laughs> yes, do not. That is the most atrocious thing that I have ever heard.
1: A jello salad. Yeah. See, here I think there's other people who've been exposed to this, not just me.
0: <laughs> yeah, my mother-in-law, she she makes something that is a dessert and calls it a salad and serves it with, um, with a main course. So it's really hard to make your two- and five-year-old eat anything other than the chocolate pudding that's called a salad.
1: I'm kind of hoping that you and your mother-in-law have already talked about this. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, she loves me. We're good. She's cool. All right. So that was a really long intro, Jamie, about jelly salad. So we're (sighs) going to keep moving along and I would like to know about our director of graduate and online initiatives, Jack Clut. Jack, what is your weird family tradition? Uh,
2: so my family, and I don't think this is weird, Um, But my family doesn't really have a separate Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Um, We mash all that together. So as soon as Halloween is over, uh, you know, the holiday songs are playing. And, um, you know, so mine is not a Thanksgiving. I mean, we have Thanksgiving, but mine is not a Thanksgiving weird thing. Mine is a is a Christmas weird thing. And it all has to do with the most horrific thing that's ever been created by man, and it is tinsel. Um, So, on Christmas Eve, (laughs) we are forced... Now, the tree's already up. The tree is decorated. We are forced one strand of tinsel at a time to place it on the Christmas tree.
0: Oh, no. And,
2: you know, I mean... Garland is a lot easier, right? Because it's basically a rope of tinsel that you just wrap around the Christmas tree. But no, no, we have to. We we always had to do it one strand of tinsel um, at a time. And you know, like when you're a kid and you're excited about like you know Santa's coming and like it's wonderful kind of thing. You're about to get all these gifts. You're super hyper. To to then be in a situation where you have to sit there for like an hour. Putting on one thing of tinsel after another. I know I'm going on. Clearly, this brings back some uh, terrible child <laughs> childhood memories. Uh, I, I will yeah. say, I will say that the tree the tree did look great.
1: Uh, well, Jack, I just have one question. How many boxes of tinsel did did you have to put on as a child? Uh, it was like, I, I mean, if there were, I I, there, I remember piles of tinsel
2: boxes, piles hot jeez.
0: See, I just don't understand. You should ask for forgiveness and dump it all on the tree. <laughs> like, no. Then again, I'm the second child.
3: I feel like that tradition's better as an adult when you can have a beverage while you go through that. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's arduous.
0: No, my husband decorates the good-looking Christmas tree. Mine is the free-for-all Christmas tree. I digress. My family's gonna break up with me based off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin. I heard your voice. You're our director of philanthropic initiatives. Tell us what you have going on at the holidays that is your family tradition, weird or otherwise.
3: Yeah. So, uh, jello salad out of a jello mold is a thing growing up. So, I'm there with you, Jamie. Yes. Uh, and Jack tinsel is a thing, but I will tell you it was not strand by strand. So, um, I can tell you that I can relate, but I'm pretty glad to be able to just throw it all on the tree. The uh, the weird holiday tradition that we have at the Bauman House uh, is actually thanks to my sister-in-law, who is British. Shout out to Amanda. And over in England, they do something called Christmas crackers. Has anyone heard of Christmas crackers before? Oh, Christmas crackers. <laughs> I'm taking your silence is deafening. So Christmas crackers, for anyone who's interested, I thought they were a, a new thing, but they're... Uh, I guess they're mainstream enough that they're available at Costco, which, as an aside, is my favorite store.
1: Shout out! Um, and
3: yeah, <laughs> shout out to Costco shoppers. Very proud executive member here. <laughs> um, but we digress. Uh, Christmas crackers are uh, had at dessert time, um, and they are uh, small toys that you can pull. Every you you reach across the table, um, and basically, the person across the table from you holds one end. You hold the other end, um, and as you pull this Christmas cracker apart, it's a small like paper tube, there's a small popper in there that pops, and whoever ends up with the toy on the inside of this paper tube um, gets to keep the toy, Um, Mm. and it's a small little competition that there's no skill in winning. It is pure (laughs) chance, and they're called Christmas crackers. I have to tell you, Kevin, that... I guess maybe it was like the the
2: recipe homework we had to do to prepare for for this episode um, but I was completely thinking that your Christmas cracker was an edible cracker
3: yes and that would make sense I just figured I would come to you live with a curveball here on the wow. uh, podcast. Wow. so that's uh, that's a little preview of what's to come I got another little surprise in store for uh, for you guys and our listeners today so Super excited to talk about Christmas crackers, but super excited to talk about what's next.
1: Well, you see, wow. Kevin, I kind of wondered something that was about something being up, because I think in England, they actually don't call crackers crackers. They call them crisps. Oh, like uh, potato chips, potato yeah. potato crisps. Yeah, a lot of things are crisps. They don't really go with the uh, snaps, and they, they use the little cute words. Yeah,
2: like when you see the little uh, Geico Gecko, and he's you know, he's, he's British. Did you know he's British? Yeah. 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 And he's, he's talking about his potato crisps. That makes Sorry,
1: sense to Amanda, me. What, Amanda, what do you have for, uh, to share with us for your holiday traditions?
0: Well, you won't be surprised by this, you guys probably, cause you work with me every day, but I might be the most um, vocal family member who is able to corral a crowd of loud people. And so I am used as the family bingo collar. Nice. I-95. However, now that I have an Iowa accent, it's a little bit more dumbed down. It used to be like, I-95, (laughs) I-95, but now it's more like, I-95. I'm working on it. So um, you have to do it really loud because you have some elderly in the audience. You try to get them up as close as possible. You can play up to two two cards at a time. Do not clear your cards. That's the rule. (laughs) Don't clear your cards. You keep playing until you win. When you win, you get a bingo prize. A bingo prize could be, a um a towel that you would use in your kitchen it could be a lint roller it could be anything that you buy at the dollar store cordial cherries those are good my mom got mad at me one year because i traded i was working on negotiation at a young age traded a uh, box of uh, cordial cherries for the lint roller that i had because i had no use in a lint roller and she wanted the lint roller so you got to always feel the package to see if it's a, a, a you know a towel or something But you have to come to uh, family Christmas with a whole heap full of bingo prizes because you're going home with them, too. So that's (laughs) my secret talent capture in case we want to play bingo. It can be your caller. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing about our family traditions. We're going to go over now into our quick takes, which is where we're going to do a little round robin about what we are seeing in higher ed. Uh, What's been in the news lately? What is the buzz, so to speak? So Kevin, um, aside from Costco and the link that you provided to us on (laughs) Christmas crackers, tell us what you've been looking at online.
3: It is pumpkin spice season. Happy pumpkin spice season. It is everywhere. Did a little research to figure out how pumpkin spice is invading our higher education community. As it turns out, there are over 23,000 university mentions of pumpkin spice, if you do a quick Google search. And one of those is by our friends over at Northeastern, and they tell us that Starbucks will actually make between $350 and $500 million a year on pumpkin spice-related drinks. So for those of you that are enjoying your pumpkin spice, know that you are not alone. There are others at universities across the country that are not only drinking and eating everything pumpkin spice, uh, but enjoying their drinks to the tune of $500 million a year.
2: Uh, Fact or fiction, uh, is there actual pumpkin in anything pumpkin spice?
1: Fiction. Correct. It is a combination of herbs. Oh, not herbs, spices. Sorry, not spices. Yeah, spices. Anyone know what they are?
2: Uh, cinnamon, Alon, nutmeg. All oh, allspice. Clove? Yep.
3: Those wow, are. look at us, guys.
0: All right, good Well, it's job. too bad
3: you didn't think of that sooner. We would have $500 million. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, well, thank you, Kevin, for that nice seasonal ad, even tying lot. into higher ed. I mean, I'm pretty impressed with this. Now, Jack, um, for your quick take, you always like to tell us about somebody who's either drunk or got fired. You have anything for us this week?
1: Uh, what if we? What, Thanksgiving is the most like people drink a lot on Thanksgiving. That isn't that the drinkiest uh, holiday of the year? I don't know, Jamie. Is it, is it Thanksgiving or or Christmas? I think it's Thanksgiving
2: Eve.
0: Jack doesn't have oh, Thanksgiving Wednesday. or Christmas. He just has it all together. He just starts drinking at Halloween, apparently. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. that's, that's yeah. pretty accurate. That uh, yeah, so for my quick take, um, I kind of uh, bucked the trend last uh, episode because I was talking about graduate student unions um, and it didn't involve any drinking or anyone getting fired. Uh, so to get back on track, uh, quick question. If you are a president or university chancellor, is it a good uh, good idea to go to uh, the bars and drink with your students?
1: Is this a rhetorical fiction.
2: question? <laughs> Factor fiction. Uh, evidently, it is not a good idea. It's not recommended. So anyone out there that wishes to be a president or who currently is, um, do not do so because – uh, we have a uh, a case study of what happened uh, when you do that, and it happened at East, East Carolina University, uh, and uh, now resigned is uh, the interim chancellor, um, who had to resign when the local press got a hold of photos of him drinking with students at local bars. Hmm. And I don't think there's anything really... Uh, Inappropriate in the photos. I mean, you know, he's at a bar. He's he's drinking. There, there's no um, uh, comment about that. He knew these were underage students, which, by the way, there's no no indication that they are underage. It was just the president was drinking at a bar with with students. And I mean, he was close to some of the students. I mean, we were getting a picture taken. You're usually standing with someone or you have your arm around somebody. Um, but there was nothing suggested that it was anything untoward. Uh, But the president did resign, uh, though the student reaction uh, was not uh, in favor of the resignation. There was a petition going around, uh, and uh, basically saying that the uh, the the interim chancellor was a proven leader who was approachable to students. He's commonly seen taking pictures with yeah, very approachable. (laughs) He's commonly seen taking pictures with students on campus, cheering with students at football games, and holding pleasant conversations with students around town. Uh, end quote from the petition. But I guess around town also includes
3: the uh, the local pubs.
1: Yeah, that's a raw deal, I think. So it's much actually. to say on this
3: topic. That's an interesting other side of that. It. Imagine if you live in... Imagine if you live in a small town or a small community, and you are a chancellor. Just about everywhere you go, you will likely encounter the student population. Mm-hmm. And so, the, I guess the opposite question, which should also be asked, is in that example: Is there a place where the chancellor could go where that, where they wouldn't encounter the student population? Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like this might be a unique uh, circumstance, and and I certainly don't know all of the unique nuances of it, but. Uh, it almost seems like there might be uh, instances or examples where uh, those two populations are just going to naturally cross paths. Yeah. yeah, but my application is not in to be the chancellor there. So <laughs> it, they didn't call and ask what I think.
0: We have incriminating pictures of you drinking with market management at Capture. So right.
2: surprise.
1: surprise.
2: Jamie, what do you got?
1: Oh, mine, I feel like it's very sober in a different way. Um, I just feel like I've been reading a lot in the news recently. Uh, even uh, today or yesterday, there was uh, something in Inside Higher Ed about mergers, about Emerson College merging with Marlborough College in Vermont. And I feel like Vermont has had just the crap kicked out of it with closures in the last 12 months. So it got me really thinking of a mashup quick take, and that is this reality check that there are so many vulnerable institutions out there. And we read, you know, almost weekly about a school that's going out of business or consolidating or going through a, you know, accreditation probation because of something that's going on with their enrollment. And then, and then at the same time, the Chronicle, uh, put an article in recently about the growth of these just mega universities that are just taking over online. And I can't help but think it's like this microcosm of like us, you know, kind of like the industrial revolution and consolidation and urbanization that's happening in higher ed. And it's like, It's just got me really like kind of depressed. Obviously there's opportunity. And I think that we live, we work in a market that's like, that's a free market system. So if, if schools can't make it, then they probably shouldn't be open. But at the same time, it's like just a real hard uh, topic uh, to, to think through. So it's not really a, it's not really fun. It's not really bright and cheerful and bubbly. It's like, it just kind of gets me down and um, just reminds me of the reality of the, the context that we work in. So that's, that's my quick take for the, uh, for the, this episode. I would just like to say that that quick take
2: could be an entire buzz episode, the future of higher education, because there's so much out there in terms of what the future will be ranging yeah. from this consolidation that you're talking about to complete and total unbundling. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we, we could have a, uh, a good time talking about that. Hopefully in a more uplifting way, Jamie, we don't want to get yeah, you depressed. I
1: know. Womp, womp, womp. Debbie downer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, when I once upon a time, I was in a doctoral program for one whole week of my life. And then I decided that I bit off a little bit more than I could chew working full time. But I wanted to do my dissertation on that topic, uh, the future of higher ed with mergers and acquisitions. I think that that will be uh, on on the horizon for another decade.
1: Well, there are definitely there are definitely uh, companies out there that exist in the higher ed consolidation world. Mm -hmm. i just i paid attention to that this week so it's a very interesting marketplace
0: well i'm going to bring you to an even more sober topic with my quick take of the week can it get any more sober than that all right so (laughs) we're going to talk about colleges that are now opening up i saw an inside higher ed today it actually caught my eye um there are 136 programs at colleges now that are working to help with substance abuse on campus. And the Inside Higher Ed article talks about a specific student who had to leave his program of interest, go into a rehab program, come back Mm -hmm. into the school, try to work his life back into normality. Is that the right word? Normalcy. There you go. And what I really found interesting about it is then after he was three years sober, finished his program, he became a coordinator of one of these programs at institutions. And the whole point is that, you know, our federal government is trying to help with the opioid epidemic epidemic that um, I bet one or two degrees from each of us, we could find someone in our lives who have had an opioid um, addiction problem. I know I have had some family members as well. Um, or people close to me that have struggled with that. So I think that it's great that our colleges are acknowledging that um, sometimes even our students need it. I think there's this thing of being in college that, oh, well, they're going to drink and they're going to experiment or whatever. Some of that can happen. But if you have that gene in you and it grabs a hold of you, um, you could have somebody with a lot of potential in their life without an easy outlet to turn it back around. So I really applaud these institutions that are being there to support and uh, not leaning on the federal or state you know healthcare initiatives and really embracing it themselves as well Mm -hmm. so thumbs up to all the colleges who are looking at the issues that our students are having today um, even with substance abuse
1: yeah those are big those are big issues for sure
0: but. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Me and Jamie just took it down an and they said, But those are the things that are out there in the news. We need to talk about them. They're important.
1: That's right, indeed.
0: So, uh, we're, how we're going to do today's podcast is each of our market directors are going to talk about tidbits. Get it? Tidbits. And okay, is it giblets or giblets? So,
1: yeah, we have an internal controversy for our listen, listening audience out there. Jack and I, both from the northeast, uh, go with the Google. Approved pronunciation of the word <laughs> giblets with a j-j-j. Giblets. The south southern folk, Amanda and Kevin, go with the g-g-g version of that word. So they're with giblets. We're team giblets. Jack and I, Amanda and Kevin are team giblets. Whatever your flavor is, folks, I hope you like the gravy. We're going to go ahead with the tidbits.
0: Yeah. Luckily, we're only going to talk about tidbits right now. You can look at our recipes later to see if there's any giblets or giblets involved. I hope not. sounds disgusting. (laughs) So, Jack, lead us off on the tidbits of closing out the year, what that means uh, for the grad market.
2: I am happy to do it. Um, And in keeping with our holiday theme for this episode of The Buzz, um, I wanted to talk about what what I refer to as the holiday push. So uh, I'm a, I've always been a big advocate of making sure that you are actually pretty aggressive uh, with your inquiry and app pool um, through the holiday season. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, in, in, in grad, there, there tends to be um, this uh, – and not just in grad. I mean, I think everywhere at universities as the semester winds down um, and you're approaching that winter break – there's this feeling of, okay, we can begin to kind of relax and, and scale back a little bit. Um, and I'm not saying you can't enjoy your break or, or have off in between, you know, in, for that week or, or whatever, when, when the institution may actually close, uh, administrative offices. But in terms of your communication, your engagement, uh, with, uh, prospects, uh, and applicants, this is the time to push. Why is it the time to push?
1: Uh, Should we it's answer the, that question? Why is it time to push, Jack?
2: A great, great question, Jamie. Thank you. <laughs> it is the why time, is it time, to... time to push, Jack. That great question. Thank you, Kevin. Amanda? Wait,
0: why is it a good time to push?
2: <laughs> it is a good time to push because what happens during the holiday season, right? What happens is you are surrounded by your friends, right? Uh, you're surrounded by your family. And you have what I refer to as a bunch of catch-up conversations, right? Oh, Jamie, how have you been? How are things going? What are you up to? Oh, Amanda, you're going to be graduating. This is your big last senior year. That's amazing. Uh, What are you going to go on and do? Oh, Kevin, you've been in that job now for a few years. How's it going? What's new? Uh, And when this happens and you're pushing, right, your recruitment operation is pushing, immediately – that conversation can shift to, uh, actually, I'm considering graduate school. Oh, really? And this kind of conversation between friends and family uh, becomes kind of a, a self, kind of a reinforcing concept. Um, and we know this from a data perspective mm-hmm. because um, after the holiday season, as New Year's resolutions kick in, that is the most heavily recorded period of traffic web traffic to graduate tagged websites in the entire year huh so okay. my friends your uh your recruitment your graduate recruitment giblet tidbit is to push during the holiday season i, I thought have that
0: you were going to talk about you know walking in with a new hot boyfriend or something because that's the more fun part about christmas <laughs> <"Look>, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I don't upgrade anymore. I'm married, but. <laughs> as I we all been, are. Maybe, maybe I should have been thinking about grad school as an update <laughs> back then. Uh, so that's Jack, not
1: the only yeah. gra- uh, Yes, Kat.
0: That's only one tidbit, Jack.
1: I know. I, I think have. That's the, I think those points are really well taken, though, Jack, because there's, I mean, there is that so much anticipation of that social time. And honestly, like, I think that sometimes we can get locked into those decisions when we start talking. And it's almost like having those, uh, having those discussions with people reinforces a leaning that students might be having. So absolutely, yeah. I agree on the undergrad side too. There you go. Jack, I'm
3: so excited to hear you talk about how social the holidays are. Because I know we were gonna go through all of the graduate tidbits, but let me align, you have such a great idea and aligns so well with one of our advancement tidbits.
0: Nope, not your turn yet. Go. <laughs> Just
3: kidding. I <laughs> don't see that happening. So, Jack, one of the surprises that I have for uh, everyone today is that the one of the advancement tidbits is actually that many universities offer uh, official pumpkin carving stencils, uh, so that uh, alumni can carve their pumpkin to match their alma mater. And uh, many alumni will choose to carve their their pumpkins, put them out on their front step. And these pumpkins actually become an incredible marketing tool uh, for students and youngsters who are walking around the neighborhood. Think about having a University of Texas carved pumpkin on every doorstep of a neighborhood or an Indiana University carved pumpkin. I bring those two up because I am a University of Texas graduate. My wife is an Indiana University graduate and they offer stencils. And so, as you imagine this, I'm actually gonna share with everyone um, on the podcast today, an example of what that can look like. And for anyone who is following along and listening, um, you can see an example of this um, on a LinkedIn post related to this. So please connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, But Jack, to your point about the holidays being social, imagine having a Uh, pumpkin carved with your institution on every doorstep and what an incredible marketing opportunity that can be at a social time like the holidays I love it I love the idea
2: it actually makes me wish that um, that Halloween was a little bit later in the year because for all those uh, those undergraduate students uh, who are getting those uh, acceptances I guess this is to you Jamie they're getting their their admission their letters of admission to include in the accept packet, this, uh, this cool kind of carving stencil would be cool, uh, display, display your pride, but it's in October.
1: Yeah. What, what about, well, I was thinking the same thing, Jack, but like, what about morphing this into, you know, a Christmas decoration on the tree or something like that? Because then, you know, a lot of times if we, I don't know how you guys work, but at our house, when we decorate our tree, Um, There's all sorts of these different, you know, they're timestamps of, of how things have happened, but we also have parties at our house and we have people come in and they, we, you know, we, we don't stand around the tree necessarily, but people look at the tree and that could be just another prompt for those, those conversations to be inaugurated. So I feel like, I feel like this, Kevin is the tip of the iceberg of uh, what some of these holiday marketing tools could look like. There could be a whole bunch of, a whole bunch more.
0: I will tell you, Kevin, that my uh, little nephew made a college-themed pumpkin as well, and he's like 10.
1: Way, wow.
0: a, way to get him. Like, I think it was the Iowa Hawkeye or something mm-hmm. like that, but it gets him inundated with the brand early. I think it's fun. Are,
3: are you bringing that up to say that his is better than mine?
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I think you did a good job, Kevin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And for anyone who's listening along at home, if you, again, if you would like to see a great attempt, maybe not a good example, but a great attempt, connect with us on LinkedIn uh, where you will see the uh, pu- pumpkin that I carved using the official University of Texas uh, stencil, which honestly, won the t- pumpkin championship at our house.
0: I-, I mean, honestly, I think that you're stenciling. You did a great job, but you got a little. Uh, a little fast on cutting the top off. There, he's kind of sitting sideways.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was artistic. That was intentional. <laughs> <Just
0: kidding>. well, <laughs> all right. Yes, we will, share, we will share your pumpkin. Maybe, all right, maybe, Jack. maybe our listener, listeners will say how good it is. See if it wins the capture challenge.
1: Ooh. Well, you know, what we should do next year is we should all try to get pumpkin stencils, and we should have a contest that our listeners can can uh, judge.
0: I'm going to have a hard time district. cutting a Yosef face.
3: Then we're definitely going to do it.
0: Next year, it's on.
3: Yep. All right, Jack, the tidbits are back to you, buddy. More graduate tidbits. Um, all right,
2: so I want to talk a little bit about uh, this concept known as Jefferson Rise. Um, so at Thomas Jefferson University, where um, I uh, I worked for uh, quite a bit of time um, in charge of recruitment, Uh, there was a desire to increase the amount of alumni uh, that we had in our graduate programs. So um, there are a number of ways, obviously, to do this, but one of the things that we really wanted to focus on was to make the idea of graduate education at Jefferson something that is truly valued and considered to be uh, an area of prestige uh, among those who were graduating seniors. So, uh, in doing so, uh, we worked with uh, our marketing folks to create uh, the and our academic partners in uh, graduate faculty uh, to create the Jefferson Rise program. So, Jefferson Rise, the long and short of it, um, at the at the usually around this time of year. So, it does co- coincide with this kind of holiday push. Um, We make sure that we take a group of graduating seniors who meet certain academic qualifications, all of which is pre-vetted by um, the program directors for the various graduate programs, Um, and we send them an invitation, both their campus address, uh, also through email, and also at home, and that is an invitation to uh, join um, uh, graduate school uh, at Jefferson. And it's more than an invitation, it is a pre-admission. So for this uh, distinct group of graduating seniors in October, they receive um, pre-admission, and they are invited to claim a seat within a specific graduate program. Um, So there's a a lot more that we can talk about this, and I'm always happy to uh, talk with folks about the Jefferson Rise program. Um, It was extremely helpful in increasing the uh, the number of uh, alumni uh, who would uh, enroll in in graduate school Um, and there are certain yeah how how helpful was it Uh, super helpful
0: i prefer a quantifiable metric
2: (laughs) just kidding (laughs) it was super helpful um yeah now and i think you know for I think one of the things that um, institutions kind of struggle with, uh, particularly with graduate education, is this idea of undergraduate students getting their degree and going right into um, a graduate degree program. And it's not something that's recommended for every single discipline. There are those, however, where it is a requirement, where you need the graduate credential in order to, uh, as a vehicle of entry into that particular field or occupation. Um, So this is something to definitely uh, talk through. With faculty um, and with the graduate program directors, because you definitely need that their buy-in and their help in terms of uh, requirements for 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 inclusion in, in a program like Jefferson Rise. Um, but uh, but if you decide to do it, it can be uh, it can be really helpful.
0: I really love it. I could have walked in with a hot boyfriend and acceptance <laughs> <laughs> to grad school. You,
1: it would have been a great dinner. I We're see done. a theme. I see a theme emerging. From
0: it. <laughs> no, but it's very, it's very clever. I'm just making light of it. But seriously, the first time that Jack told us the story of Jefferson Rise, I just thought that was so clever with thinking about the kitchen table conversations that you have when you're home. It, that's what happens in the undergrad pre-re- pre-recruitment cycle of going in. You have to think about, okay, When are they going to sit down with their family and make these decisions together and decide what colleges they're going together and decide what schools are going to be applied to? But that isn't they aren't home with their family to have kind of that pressure that mom or dad asking them those hard questions. And I think that the timing of it is is very um, clutch to use one of Jamie's words. Clutch. Clutch.
2: Uh, yeah, and the other thing that I'll that I'll just say about it briefly, and then I will I promise stop talking is that uh, the group of uh, students who were not included in Jefferson Rise, so who did not get that invitation invitation, but still did meet admission criteria for many programs, um, right? They would get annoyed. They would be like, Hey, why didn't I get this invita- invitation? Ooh. Why didn't I get this get this pre admission? And uh, and that in, that actually encouraged the submission of uh, applications to graduate school among that subset that were still uh, uh, admissible, but didn't uh, get this, uh, this, this, you know, distinctive uh, prestigious invitation. So uh, a good program.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, the last thing I will say, and this, uh, I'm kind of crossing markets here, um, Jamie. So it's both grad and undergrad. Um, you can have
1: my time slot, Jack. That's fine.
2: <laughs> uh <laughs> Is, uh, you know, when, when people are registering for open house um, or graduate information sessions uh, or even just campus tours, um, and, and we're looking for ways to increase visits and also ways to, to increase our, our prospect pipelines, um, a very simple field on the registration form will help. Uh, and it's a field that simply says, Are you bringing a friend? Hmm. and if you click yes then another field is there: name a friend email a friend and uh, that's just a, a helpful little tidbit on how to increase visits and to get more exposure to people who weren't already in your funnel
3: I think there's one other aspect of the rise program that uh, that you didn't mention and I'm thinking of Amanda coming home with the acceptance and a new boyfriend <laughs> um, and and let's say I was her friend from high school that went off to another institution and, and, I, and Amanda comes over to my party, my holiday party, and she says, hey, I got accepted to Jefferson through the RISE program. And I would say, wow, if Amanda could make it in, maybe I have a shot, too.
0: Oh, no, no. People don't. And then there's
1: a like there's a group holiday social interaction. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mashup, Kevin. Holy cow. Your worlds are colliding here.
0: There's always an advancement spin. That's always. why we have a director of philanthropic initiatives. All right, Jack, thank you for those tidbits and those giblets. I appreciate
2: it. <laughs> My pleasure.
0: <laughs> and I think we're going to segue over into Kevin, who's, who's already turned turn a little bit of the spin here in the direction of advancement land. So talk to us about the end of the year and what that means in that world
3: yes i love it and so jack i already took a little bit of your time talking about pumpkin carving stencils so i will be quick today um but i think it's important to talk about calendar year-end campaigns so in the advancement office we're really doing the year-end push uh, to get as many donors and dollars committed to the institution before the calendar year-end historically it's been a big time for tax incentives and getting it in Uh, for tax reasons that's changed a bit recently which is probably too much for us to cover um, in just a tidbit Um, But the way that we are pushing through to get uh, as many donors and dollars in the door as possible, uh, one of those traditional communication channels is direct mail. And I think it's important to note as we start talking about our uh, end of year communications that marketing mail volume, as reported by the U.S. Postal Service, is actually down for the second year in a row. So it declined in 2017 and it declined in 2018. Meaning there's less and less marketing mail being sent out. And if you think of some of the solicitations that we're sending out as direct marketing mail, um, I think it's sort of a sign of the times of institutions becoming more and more um, targeted in their outreach and sending fewer and fewer mass communications. Now, those two numbers that I'm sharing are the, the declines are actually in 2017 and 2018. We will soon have information in 2019 um, as that comes to a close, but I think it's important to note that a lot of our communication channels um, are changing and fluctuating, and we oftentimes focus on phonathon. And everyone brings up Stanford. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys in the enrollment community know, but Stanford was the first institution to put an official end to their phonathon, so they no longer have a phonathon mm-hmm. um, because they found that uh, phonathon was actually. Uh, driving people away more often than it was doing good because people were getting frustrated by the number of times their phone would ring and by the time they would actually answer the phone, uh, then uh, then it would be a negative interaction instead of a positive one. And so Phoneathon gets a lot of visibility in, in that, but I think it's important to look at all of our different, uh, different methods. So interesting little tidbit, that direct mail volume, uh, certainly in the marketing space is going down. And if I was gonna end on a positive note, I will tell you that the positive of that is a lot of institutions are looking for new ways to engage their audience, and certainly a capture. We're a digital company, so digital is a natural thing for us. Um, but I want to highlight Kansas State University. Kansas State University recently hired two digital advancement officers. Not one, two. Two digital advancement officers. <laughs> I think the really exciting thing here is two years ago, three years ago that job title did not even exist. Um, Most institutions were talking to a director of development that that was utilizing our traditional email, phone, uh, direct mail, uh, communication channels. Um, And now we're seeing more and more institutions hiring uh, digital advancement officers that are focusing on nothing but digital communications, aligning all of our digital spectrums, whether it be social media, emails, all of those sorts of things. Um, And it's becoming a true focus. Um, and a true um, specialty within an advancement office. So really really exciting to see some changing of the communication channels um, as we come to the end of 2019.
1: Yeah that's a uh, that statistic about direct mail Kevin is it's surprising because I feel like I get lots of outreach and I know that I serve on a board of a nonprofit and this year this year is holiday with uh, the uh, with Thanksgiving being so late, there's a almost a truncated experience where you can get that end of year letter in, um, but I definitely have also seen a vast increase in the amount of email at, email solicitations for year end, as opposed to direct mail. So, amazing, and the digital is it's phen- phenomenal new tool for sure.
0: I got a piece of direct mail and the mail uh, it was a political thing, but I was I honestly looked at it and was surprised. I'm like. Hmm. Why would they mail this to me? Why would you waste your money sending this to me? And I think that is from watching this on the undergrad student side of things you start to understand like don't you understand how you can <laughs> use your money more wisely and not send it to everybody <laughs> But the favorite my favorite part of your story here, Kevin, is that you did research on United States post office reports. I mean, props. You just got a lot like an extra nerd badge or something.
3: (laughs) Thank you. I will tell you. Okay, so here's two more fun tidbits that are totally unrelated. The US Postal Service reports that they have 232,000 vehicles in their fleet. And as as marketing mail has declined, um, and Jack being the online shopper that you are, you are contributing to a 40% increase in package delivery. So as marketing mail has gone down, I think we can all relate to online shopping and a 40% increase in package delivery. Uh,
2: Speaking about this and the power of digital, Kevin, I would just like to tell everyone that if you want everything um, from your your holiday gift list, um, grab the phone of your spouse and uh, go to Google and Google every single thing that you want. And then for the next six months, your spouse will get retargeting the digital display ads for every single item you want for Christmas. Great idea. That's a good idea. That's
1: a subtle way. Um, the more you know. Do 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 do. Amanda, you should try living in a swing state. You think you get one political message? I get like six a day.
0: I live in Iowa. Come on, we're the first. Iowa
1: was a swing state.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: Important caucus state, but it's not necessarily a swing state. I'm pretty sure I know what color Iowa lands usually.
0: Not always. There are city centers around universities. (laughs) Just saying.
1: I thought last episode
2: was our politics episode. That's right. It was.
0: So, you know how Jack talked about (laughs) Jefferson Rise and all of the Jefferson Rise is talking about how do you get your underclassmen and transition them to grad students We also have similar retention efforts that need to happen between fall and spring semesters with the current undergrad population. So, Jamie, with your tidbits, now that I've properly set the table for you, get it? Set the table. Yeah, Yeah. talk to us about your tidbits and a few giblets.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this one a lot um, because, you know, as we reflect on the changes, the recently adopted changes for NACAC the potential for uh, fall to spring losses, I feel like there's a much greater level of exposure. So right? Like right now, the undergrad enrollment office is total frantic, right? Like they just got back from travel. some of them are still out on the road, gear coming in. It's like total app reading time. There's lots of things that are happening, packages are coming in. It's just like this blitz. But I think sometimes in that craziness, um, can be lost your current students, right? And and with the new changes in the NACAC regulations, your students could be susceptible, or your campus even could be susceptible to a digital onslaught from other uh, competitors who are now in the space. And I actually, it's funny because just earlier today, uh, we had a, one of our one of our representatives on the inside sales team called me and. Was asking about a GOIP campaign that a partner was requesting um, to get stood up very quickly, and this is the thing that we are now all susceptible to, right? So, for those of you who don't know, uh, if if you don't know, go to the NACAC, uh best practices and read about what's happening. But your you can your your campus is officially kind of open. It's open season on your current students. Um, you can have campaigns, digital campaigns that are running, where a competitor school is basically saying, "Come on over to our side and be a member of this community." And I think that that the onus on the internal, you know, stakeholders within a university—faculty members, advisors, student development—and probably to a lesser degree, the undergrad enrollment folks—but not. There should definitely be some conversations going on in order to bolster this campus wide effort of of keeping your students. And in in the same way that, uh, pardon me, a lot of the undergrad offices who are potentially listening to this create, you know, at risk lists of students who might melt in the, you know, over the summer months or students who are less likely to actually move in on move-in day, I think that we can be a resource to other uh, departments to help them understand um, what are some of the things that can be going on in the minds of our students and how can we get out in front of that. So things like non-registration to class for the spring, you know, like bills that are unpaid, loans that haven't been, you know, kind of closed or, you know, different things like that on the financial aid side. I think there's, there are Uh, Probably, I won't say endless, but there are a number of things now that probably need to be a little bit more important or a little bit more of a high priority on the lists of your internal campus stakeholders to understand and to fend off any potential um, competitor risks that are out there from the GOIP world. So I would encourage you to go and read uh, those NACAC uh, uh, changes, make sure that you understand them. And then uh, flipping that flipping that script a little bit. Um, obviously, this is this feels weird even saying it, but like think about any campaigns that you can afford to make live to do that with other institutions. Um, if you have schools that are you know feet typical transfer feeder schools that you haven't run a digital campaign on or that you typically do that in the spring maybe it's worth a six or eight week run to see if uh, it makes sense to do something right now. And this is a perfect time as, as students are thinking about transitions, it's a perfect time to make sure that your name is in their head. So send, not unlike uh, Google searching your, your holiday wish lists on your spouse's phone. It's very similar. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't even um,
2: Jamie. That's so right. I, I was visiting with a partner, um, uh, an institution that we work with, uh, uh, the, the, over the last couple of days, and this came up uh, in conversation as we were talking about um, some, some different strategies. You know one of the things I mean, we talked about, the idea of, of using GOIP for this kind of, of work. Um, but there really is now nothing stopping you from taking all of those students who did not um, who were accepted and did yeah. not attend and doing an email targeting digital campaign. Um, That is uh, serving those type of transfer now and additional transfer scholarship uh, uh, ads. Um, And, you know, when this initially came up, I think the reaction of many uh, was, oh, that's 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 really aggressive. And uh, okay, the answer that that might be that might be a good characterization. um, But if you're not doing it, another institution likely your competitor is. Yeah, um, so coaching. that's just something to uh, to consider as you're as you're looking at a transfer strategy now post Act change.
1: Yep. Yeah. And if uh, just a shameless plug, if you haven't listened to our uh, transfer podcast or web webcast that we did a couple of weeks ago with uh, with a few partners, uh, I would encourage you to do that because it gave like what is the current state of, of those changes and how are we going to see that kind of played out? And uh, in the words of one of our guests on that webinar, if you're not first, you're last. Indeed.
0: Didn't Ricky Bobby say that? Maybe. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> so, so Kevin, what I'm thinking about with the philanthropy side of things is, what about people who are on their phone at their in-laws house, uh, scrolling away during the holidays? Like how could you target those folks as well with advertising during that time? I wonder if, it, if you would see a spike of people being on their phones because they're not working during the day and their desk during the holiday period.
3: You know that makes sense to me. Um, I will tell you that uh, I am personally never on my phone during holiday gatherings because I love the holidays every single minute of it. No, that's that's not true. There are times <laughs> where are times we all need a break.
2: <laughs> I was wondering. Um, I was like, what? Like, that's not somewhere. true.
1: Somewhere. Where's Kevin? Oh, he's up carving pumpkins.
3: who carves a pumpkin in december kevin does (laughs) so uh but yes i mean a a great point right so it might be over the holidays i'm not at work and i need a little break from my family Um, and i think it's fairly common for people to uh, reach to their cell phone and pull up maybe it's a facebook campaign or maybe it's uh going to check espn or um, so many great options to really uh create a, a wonderful engagement opportunity especially calendar year end um, with uh, with your alumni base when they have a little more free time on their hands. I mm-hmm. mean, um, especially over the holidays, I think everyone can admit that we become um, a little bit more philanthropic. Maybe it's with our time, maybe it's with our treasure, um, but it's a great time to get your uh, message out. Um, and the digital space is a, is a wonderful way to do that. You know, Jack, as, as Jamie was talking, it also reminded me of this great program that I heard of the Jefferson rise program. <laughs> and um And I was I was thinking to myself, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if you could GOIP target your own institution um, and push off uh, a program to uh, your own undergraduate uh, student body to enroll them in the graduate program? Is that something that is that something that happens? Uh,
2: That's an interesting idea. I would say that it, it. From a targeting standpoint, it, it certainly would make sense, but I think that the the feeling is that there would be more cost-effective ways to engage your existing um, students uh, than, than going about uh, a geo-campaign in that manner, but it would certainly have the effect of uh, getting the message in front of them.
3: And that's why you're the expert
0: stay in your lane kevin and
1: that's why
3: that's why i phrased that as a question jack
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was ready for that feedbooks.
0: Oh,
1: he's not crying at all
0: so you guys i don't have anything quite as exciting as as you guys but i have a question i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a question to you so Staffing over the holiday break. Oh, Oh, that was always a thing. Now, I will say I am more than a decade post being behind a chair where I had to worry about that. Um, But it was always who's going to come in and open the mail, who's going to check the phone lines, uh, you know, what if we have some visitors that want to come in? And uh, I've been under a couple of different staffing models and I think I would like to know how did you guys staff your, or when you were in that role, how were you, what were the requirements on you? And then when you were over that role, you know, what was your view on when you needed staff to come into the office over the holidays?
1: Yeah, I think, okay, so I'm, I'm five years away from that spot. Um, and five years ago on December 27th, I was Working, <clears throat> because I in was that office. Guy. in the office. Yep, um, we had a, a pretty old. School. We didn't have an imaging imaging service or anything like that. So we had everything was we used a lot of paper. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were opening mail and. What we mainly didn't want is to have after the new year, come back to the office and have like, you know, 600 applications to enter into our system. So we'd spend some time doing that into the CRM. So I'm a believer. I'm a believer in uh, making sure that you cut that break up a little bit, um, not without like maybe adequate comp time if you can afford that or if your model allows it. But I also think I'm also a believer in being creative, you know, so like there are things um, there are plenty of people who come to the Philadelphia region for the holidays that don't live around here. So think about like, how do you spin this and how do you create, you know, ways for these students to see your campus? If you're a, you know, if, if you're a school that, that is appealing in the, in the wintertime, if you have you know, the opportunity to do that, I think it's a great idea. I'm I, I also am. A, uh, I would say that I'm a workaholic. So for me, it was no big deal. I definitely got pushback from my staff who uh, were like, I don't really want to come into the office over Christmas break. And I said, usually what we did is we split it. So we did two days and each day was, a, it was actually two half days. So everyone had to do one half day. I ended up doing like a full day one, you know, by myself. So I'm in favor. I am, I am
2: opposed.
0: <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So cute. So no, I
2: will say that I will say that I worked uh, for a large private college in Philadelphia, a private university uh, that did not that did not close in between uh, Thanksgiving uh, and Christmas I was open. So and and staff had to come to work. I mean it, it was you know. Um, Do you
0: mean Christmas and New Year's? Because most people have to work between Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant. Yeah, Jack has extended.
0: <laughs> I hope that Jack that you understand you have through. to come come back to the work after Halloween.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I fortunately was only at that institution for one year, um, and then moved on. And when I became in charge of, uh, the fir- I remember when I first became a director, and and the undergraduate uh, team, um, had to come in two days over that period to process applications and, um, and, and do those things. So, um, there wasn't really an expectation on the, on the graduate team to do that, which I thought was kind of unfair because why should the undergrad peeps have to do something that the grad peeps don't have to? Um, so I didn't make, uh, or require rather that, uh, the grad team come in, but I did, I did. So I would Good come video. in I would come in those two days when the undergrad folks had to be there, and uh, and would do all the things of the the the, the voicemail and the, the 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 mail and the application processing and inquiry entry and all that wonderful stuff.
0: I would just like to say that look where all of that workaholicness has brought you guys <laughs> in your career, <laughs> right here on the Buzz.
1: Awesome.
3: I mean, I think it's an interesting. Calendar year in staffing is an interesting topic for advancement as well. Um, I ran phoneathons for 10 years. I had the luxury of being involved with those phoneathons uh, at Calendar year in every single one of those years. Um, and interestingly enough, in that space, um, there's always more work to be done. So there's quiet times that you can take advantage of if you're workaholics like everyone on this podcast uh, right now. But and there are also uh, student workers too. who are looking for hours. Yes, workaholics that are listening to this podcast. And, uh, but there are also student workers that were looking for hours over the holidays, um, and they benefited from having some extra hours in their paycheck. Maybe they couldn't go without the holiday pay or whatever that might be. And so being able to have the phone open for that period of time was not only beneficial to the institution and beneficial to our uh, calendar year and metrics, but it was also beneficial to, to our students. Um, So I think there's uh, a lot of value, not only from a workaholic standpoint, um, but from uh, a team building exercise as well.
0: So in my opinion, since you guys asked.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, what's your opinion?
0: I do believe that um, I have seen some very good uh, directors who have come before me. On campus, who would be the person who would always be there? I know sometimes family circumstances can't allow for that. If you can, give your staff number one. If you have the ability to um, do as I what do as I say, not as I do. Don't do that. You need to like set the example. You yeah. need to be the person that if you're requiring them to come in, you need to come in as well. Or if you think that you can work out some type of flexible schedule where people are. Um, importing into their laptops or whatever is you know technologically feasible for your institution, um, then go with that. See what you can do remotely. Try to make it so that you know I, I'm all about flex schedules. If you can if you can keep for keep that in mind. Um, so you know you don't want to make it harder than it has to be, but you also don't want to compromise your students who are applying either. So it's kind of a little. A little delicate dance. So at this point in our in our podcast, we always talk about behind the curtain, and we always give you a little sneak preview of data that we are finding or trends that Capture us finding. But since this is our holiday-themed episode, we're going to give you some special recipes. So, wow. boom. All right. So I've asked these guys to tell me recipes and I hope they're getting them from their family members because I don't want Jamie's jello mold <laughs> with whipping cream and jello Era. and everything. <laughs> Parents, Good Lord. Wait, sorry, bleep that out. That might not be allowable.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, cheese.
0: You need of cheese, right? So Jamie, right. what, what actual uh, recipe would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you so have I, actually, the ingredients,
1: but. I was totally coming through the recipe books last night. Uh, and I found uh, two, I'm going to share one right now. And it's a roll. It's this, it's a potato roll recipe. It's very simple. You use uh, mashed potatoes. I think it's a replacement for some of the normal starches that you bake with. I take I'm going to post a copy on the uh, on the page for the for this episode so then you can see it. But I have uh, my my daughter and my wife both have gluten intolerance and they both can eat these. So they're not celiac. So they just have an intolerance. This is something that I think is uh, is a go to. It's very good. It's very simple. It also makes great cinnamon rolls if you want to sweeten it up a little bit, but that is a second. That's a separate story. Very good. Not a
2: keto friendly recipe, but gluten free that helps. Yes.
0: Thank you to our nutrition expert Jack. (laughs) So Jack,
2: Jack, your your recipe better be keto friendly. (laughs) Uh, it isn't. I I (laughs) I think that anyone on a keto diet should go off of it, uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's required. So um. Mine is actually Aunt Mary's cranberry sauce. So the thing about uh, Aunt Mary is she, she isn't my aunt, but she is an aunt. Uh, she's my Someone? sister-in-law's sister.
1: Yeah, don't uh, you have an aunt, though?
2: I, I do. I have an Aunt Evie and an Aunt Penny and an Aunt Anna, but not an Aunt Mary. But Mary is an aunt, and she makes cranberry sauce. So this is Aunt Mary's cranberry sauce recipe, and it is amazing it is amazing it is the best cranberry sauce and, and you know a lot of people don't like cranberry sauce or they're used to that that sliced from a the can right yeah yeah the slice from this is legit cranberry sauce there is orange zest in it so it has a bit of a a, a, a citrus a sweetness yes a zestiness a, a citrus sweetness um, <laughs> lots of fun fun uh, like about a cup of sugar. Um, it's a, it's a great recipe. Mary, uh, feels that it is a family secret, so she will not give me the recipe, but she said, uh, that the old fashioned cranberry sauce recipe of which I have a link, uh, is very, uh, similar. I think she adds a little alcohol to her cranberry sauce, honestly, and I think that's why she doesn't want to tell me. Um, but, uh, anyway, so Aunt Mary's cranberry sauce. What kind
0: of alcohol would you guess that she adds, since you aren't actually giving us the recipe correctly?
2: (laughs) I'm going to think that she would probably add, uh, to go with the orange zest, a bit of orange liqueur, um, but not too much because you don't want to make it an orange sauce. It is a cranberry sauce.
0: A boozy sauce.
3: Indeed. Jack, you couldn't have provided a better segue by saying alcohol and old-fashioned for a Kentucky example here. So I the Bauman family. Yes, so I, y- you're already there. This is perfect. So the Bauman family is actually working on a secret recipe. Uh, we are working on perfecting the old fashioned. So, Jack, we might uh, invite your chancellor friend over. So we're no longer in public and we can come have a holiday drink at the house. Um, <laughs> but um, we are living in bourbon process. country here in, in Kentucky.
0: Sorry, I yes, you. I'm saying that's why they get a president house, so they don't drink with students.
3: Maybe that'll be the name of the bourbon once it, or the old fashioned when it's done, the presidential old fashioned. Maybe that's it. We yeah, have so Maybe we time. just named it here on the buzz. Indeed, I feel like we have come full circle. <laughs> Love it. So, the uh, the secret Bauman recipe that we are currently working with, we have found a new bourbon that we feel is perfect for old fashions. Um, it is actually a new bourbon to the market, not just new to us. And it is Old Forester Rye. Um, as we were starting down this path, this is not an Old Forester commercial, but, um, <laughs> but if they want to sponsor the buzz, wouldn't that be great? More All <laughs> right. <laughs> as we were starting down this path, I will say that asking around here in Kentucky, people would say if you're going to make an old fashioned, make it with Old Forester. And we would also ask others who would say, make it with rye bourbon. And for the first time ever, Old Forester has released a rye. And so it was the blending of uh, two pieces of great advice that we got often. And that is actually the key to the current secret family recipe at the Bauman's presidential old-fashioned.
2: And as we said in the last podcast, uh, bourbon is keto-friendly.
1: Thank you for the reminder.
2: You're welcome.
0: Okay, so um, my recipes will not have any alcohol in them because these are my nanny's recipes. My nanny, for those Southern people, understand that it's not a person who raised me like a caregiver, it was my grandmother, but we call her nanny, and she was Southern Baptist. So aside from maybe some moonshine that my papa might be hiding from nanny, there is no alcohol <laughs> in the recipes. So we've got, we've got two favorites here. The first one is Nanny's broccoli casserole. The best thing about my recipe for this, which we'll be sharing, is I have a picture of it. It's in Nanny's handwriting because she, she wrote it out for me. But she forgot one of the main ingredients, which in broccoli casserole, it's all about butter and cheese. And she forgot to write cheese, like completely. Both
1: keto-friendly.
0: Yeah, but the rest is not cream, cream of everything else and crackers. That's most of the ingredients. Okay. Oh yeah, and broccoli. But but, but uh, I think that's that's one of my favorite parts of the recipe card is every time I get it out I just laugh because she just forgot completely that you need to put two cups that's of cheese terrifying. in it. So <laughs> please remember the cheese. Uh, it is written out so that you remember it when you make it yourself, but. Uh, It is now a tradition that I make uh, even for my husband's family because you don't have Thanksgiving or Christmas without Nanny's broccoli casserole, period. Now, a non gluten uh, free recipe, meaning it contains gluten and would not be uh, welcome at the the Gleason household, are (laughs) angel biscuits. (laughs) Now,
2: (laughs) angel biscuits.
0: I will tell you all about angel biscuits. Here's the good thing. So, Southern <laughs> recipe. If you are making biscuits, you need to make them last because they should be the last thing that goes in the oven before you serve dinner. So that means you have a nasty, floury mess. You have children running around and people all up in your way in the kitchen when you're trying to make biscuits. And I'm like, everybody evacuate this room or <laughs> something might happen. Get the child off my body. I can't. Okay. I need to cook alone. So you can cook alone. And make angel biscuits because they're made out of like a yeast. I just stirred a pot in the air as if you guys could see me. Sorry. <laughs> um, you mix together. You mix together a, a yeast uh, mixture that goes in with a buttermilk, and it will make the recipe keep. So you can mix up your biscuits. You can. You have to put them in the refrigerator for a certain period of time, but you can leave them for up uh, for up to a week. And it has five cups of flour in it, so it makes a ton of biscuits. So say you have multiple christmas parties at your home all in the same week all in the same week right <laughs> hey i do i have to, have you ever seen the movie four christmases that's like real life at my house so <laughs> and drive across the country so you can make up you can make up these biscuits you can keep them in the refrigerator and then all you have to do you can even pat them out and put them on a pan Throw them in the oven at the last minute, and people will be like, Oh my goodness, you're so good at making biscuits. And you are, but you got to do it in advance. That's your mom tip for the day. Love you're it. Welcome. All right, guys. And,
1: and then when you can probably your, storm on the back patio. And when you introduce your new boyfriend, you can call him Angel Biscuits.
0: <laughs> no more new boyfriends. <laughs> and yes, uh, Kevin from living in the Midwest, this will be my ninth winter. I learned something from my in-laws you can put anything in like the garage or outside if you go to a family function and there isn't enough refrigerator space it blew my mind never crossed my mind that if you run out of refrigerator space you just put it somewhere that's cold like outside in the snow love it yeah and Uh, everything else is dead that would want to eat it
2: will we be back for a december episode of the buzz or is this or is this our holiday sayonara
0: this is no Every month, Jack, we're committed. We just wanted to make sure and get these tips and recipes out there in advance so that everybody could buy their ingredients and make everything for Thanksgiving so they can let us know how it goes.
3: Awesome.
0: We promise we won't have recipes and family traditions every time, but we thank you guys for joining us today on our episode of The Buzz, Capture's podcast on higher ed admissions, enrollment, advancement. I'm going to go ahead and say cheers from Capture Higher Ed. Thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of The Buzz, Capture's podcast for higher ed. If you enjoy the show, please make sure and leave us a five-star review and share with your friends. Tweet to us at Capture Higher Ed with your comments or suggestions. And until next time, cheers.